Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. As school boards around the country debate mandating masks for students, parents, including my good friend and co-host on radio, Clay Travis, are beginning to push back. Meanwhile, the president is considering executive action to overturn bans on universal masking from Republican governors like Ron DeSantis and Greg Abbott. Let's take a look at the growing fight to keep students breathing free in tonight's Hold the Line. Welcome to Hold the Line. I'm Buck Sexton, and we knew that there was going to be a throwdown over masks in schools. It was inevitable, right? You have people that are still clinging to those soiled cloths on their faces as though it's been so effective over the course of the pandemic at preventing the spread of COVID-19 or even seriously mitigating the spread of COVID-19 in any meaningful way. Of course, the data doesn't actually support that. If you look at places where they had mask mandates right next door to places where they didn't, same rates of transmission, same curve, same everything, but masks work so well, they they tell us. If it doesn't show that in the data, it's because people were wearing masks even when they weren't mandated, or they were not wearing masks even when they were, or whatever. They just come up with some excuse for it. My co-host on radio, which you can always check out 12 to 3 on, uh, well, pretty much most stations across the country, uh, my co-host Clay Travis went to his local school district, for his children, of course, in the uh, Nashville, Tennessee area. He got fired up. Here's what he said. Let's talk about risk analysis, which is the key. I feel bad for all these people walking around in masks, engaging in cosmetic theater, thinking that they are making a difference against COVID. They aren't. Here's the truth. Our kids, under 25-year-old, one in a million chance that they are going to die of COVID. They are more likely to be struck by lightning. They are more likely to be struck by lightning. They are more likely to die of the seasonal flu. Have any of you ever mandated masks for the seasonal flu, well, shame on you because every kid in Williamson County Schools has been under more danger from the seasonal flu every year than they are for COVID. I would tell every parent here, don't let your kids wear masks. I love the uh, standing ovation at the end there for my uh, co-host Clay. Yeah, look, he's, he's nailing it, right? He knows exactly what's going on. We know exactly what's going on. The mask madness needs to stop. This has become about safetyism and theatrics. This is about people feeling like they were right and they're doing the stuff they need to do. Um, some people take it even further than that. They get really crazy saying that if kids don't wear masks at school, well, here's an Oklahoma school board member 
explaining thoughts on masks and children. Because it's just not okay for kids to commit murder by coming to school without a mask. And when it comes down to it, it's possible. They will, ch- they will cause a death of another child because they come to school without a mask. Cause a death of another child. It's about murdering kids. Kids are murdering other kids if they don't wear masks, which don't actually even stop COVID, but who cares? They're just going to say it anyway. Oh, no, you're probably saying, Buck, come on, you can't say that about masks. You're not allowed to say that about masks. Well, Senator Rand Paul, who's a medical doctor, he was recently kicked off of YouTube for saying that masks don't work. We actually know this now. We've tried this. Now, are there circumstances in which a perfectly fitted N95 mask in a clinical setting where you do not take it off the entire time you may be exposed to COVID, could that perhaps, yeah, that might help in the reduction of transmission. A loosely draped piece of, uh, piece of cloth over your face, you're breathing in, breathing out, breathing in air from all over the place. No, no, but you don't have to take my word for it. Here's actually the head of Biden's COVID advisory board saying on CNN, what should be obvious to everyone now, which is that cloth masks don't do a damn thing. We know today that many of the face cloth coverings that people wear are not very effective in reducing any of the virus movement in or out. Either you're breathing out or you're breathing in. And in fact, if you're in the upper Midwest right now, anybody who's wearing their face cloth covering can tell you they can smell all the smoke that we're still getting. We need to talk about better masking. We need to talk about N95 respirators, which would do a lot for both people who are not yet uh, vaccinated or not previously infected, protecting them, as well as keeping others who might become infected, having been vaccinated from from breathing out the virus. Yeah. N95 masks now, they say. They also said that about eight months ago, right? We see that when there's a surge, masks don't do anything. The cloth masks don't do anything. So then instead of just realizing our mask policy is stupid, we should have never done that in the first place, they turn around and say, oh, we just need better masks or double masks. By the way, double masks also, cloth masks doesn't actually work either, but they like to pretend. So what can we do here? Well, there's pushback at school board meetings, thankfully, so that will help maybe a little bit. We need political leadership, though, people in positions of authority to at least say this is a choice. That school districts can't just say every single child has to mask. You want to send your kid to school and engage in theatrical COVID nonsense child abuse. Okay, maybe that's your call as a parent, right? But all kids shouldn't be made to do it by the school district, by the government in essence. And here's what the governor of Florida, Ron DeSantis, says about that. We think it's ultimately the parent's decision. We think that this is something that intimately affects the health and well-being of young kids. There was a study done uh, by Emily Oster at Brown University, looked at New York, Massachusetts, and Florida. They found no correlation to force masking and differences in cases. Uh, but you also have a situation where a lot of parents have, have come. They've come to me. They've come to their school boards and said, this has been very difficult on their young kids uh, to have to sit there for eight hours uh, with this. It's not natural. It's never been studied what the effects of that are. You know, NIH has a $42 billion budget. They've not spent a single penny since COVID started studying uh, how these mitigations affect uh, kids. Not a single penny. Isn't that so interesting? But instead of engaging with this, not just argument, but data that shows the mask madness is an absurdity, you have now the federal government weighing in, Biden saying that he is considering executive action 
to overturn states' mask mandate bans. This is from the New York Post. President Biden said Tuesday his administration is examining whether he can order universal masking in public schools, overriding Republican governors in states like Florida and Texas. I don't believe I, uh, that I do thus far, Biden told reporters in an uh, event in the East Room of the White House. We're checking on that. Trying to figure out if they can come up with some way to pretend they think there's a real legal federal avenue here. But there isn't. It's just, just them wanting to force you to do things, wanting to get their way, irrespective of the Constitution and the rule of law. No surprise. There's also a lot of science out there that should be looked at a little bit more closely. We were told just a matter of days ago that the Delta variant was as contagious as the chickenpox, which is hyper-contagious, as you know. Here, here's what they were saying. But American officials need to acknowledge the war against COVID has changed. Writing in an internal document first obtained and posted online by the Washington Post that the Delta variant is as contagious as the chickenpox, much more than previously thought. Recently leaked CDC documents suggest the Delta variant may be spread as easily as the chickenpox. The Delta variant is much more of a threat. If you are sick, meaning infected with Delta, you are likely to infect eight or nine people on average. Think about the exponential math here. You're infecting two in a common cold scenario. This is like chickenpox. The Delta variant that contagious, really? As contagious as chickenpox? Well, here's a right-wing blog known as NPR. I'm kidding, of course. Doing a fact check of the CDC's chickenpox claim. They wrote that the short answer is no, according to evolutionary biologist and biostatistician, uh, biostatistician rather, Tom Wenseliers, he said, yeah, I didn't find the CDC's statement entirely accurate. Who was, uh, Scott Wenseliers was one of the first scientists to formally, formally calculate the transmission advantage of the Alpha and Delta variants over the original versions of SARS-CoV-2. So yeah, not even really accurate. But you know, the science, the data, none of that really matters. It's all just politics and, and people being scared and shouting and letting their anxiety rule all of us. That's what's supposed to happen now. When we come back, the Taliban has seized several key provincial capitals in Afghanistan as the U.S. is completing its withdrawal from that nation. Coming up here, we'll talk to the founder of the Mighty Oaks Warrior Foundation, Chad Robichaux, about the allies we're leaving behind. But first, let's talk about the crypto market for a moment here. Everybody wants to invest in cryptocurrency, it feels like, lately at least. But it's not easy to get started know what you're doing. That's why Colin Plume, the CEO of Noble Gold, decided to create My Digital Money. It's an easy-to-use self-trading crypto IRA platform with concierge-level customer service. It's one of the few U.S.-based cryptocurrency companies that will answer your phone call and help you get started. Because your comfort and security is their absolute top priority, they offer an unparalleled military-grade security for your coins, trigger orders to help you secure opportunities for gains or limit losses without having to watch your account 24-7, a play money account so you can test the market, and with the recent pullback of most of the major cryptocurrencies, this might be the best time to get into this exciting technology-based investment. When it comes to your money, you deserve a team of dedicated professionals who have your back, speak to you honestly, and treat you like a human, not just a number. Check them out at MyDigitalMoney.com. Again, that's MyDigitalMoney.com. We'll be right back with more Hold the Line. They've got to fight for themselves, fight for their nation. The United States... I'll insist we continue to keep the commitments we made, but we're going to continue to keep our commitment. But I do not regret my decision. Joe Biden standing by his decision to pull American troops out of Afghanistan, even as the Taliban takes control of key cities across the country ahead of the United States' final exit. America's rapid withdrawal, the advance of the Taliban 
have left thousands of our Afghan allies, many of whom fought shoulder to shoulder with U.S. troops, at the mercy of an enemy they've been fighting for two decades. So what should the U.S. be doing to protect our stranded partners? Joining me now is Chad Robichaux, founder of the Mighty Oaks Warrior Foundation and a Special Forces combat veteran. Chad, thanks for being with us. What do you, what do you think about what's happening right now just at the, at the top level, 30,000 foot looking down, uh, 30,000 feet looking down? What do you think about what's happening in Afghanistan? It's completely tragic, and it's not only tragic, but very avoidable. You know, uh, you know, a lot of times we get these campaign promises, and, and political leaders feel like they have to act on these campaign promises and don't think about the implications of lives uh, uh, abroad, uh, like these Afghan allies that we have, and how it's going to implicate uh, the lives of, and safety for our national defense uh, for America. I mean, this is uh, leaving Afghanistan without a good strategy and hasty uh, is going to have tremendous consequences on Afghans and American national security. I know you wrote a piece in American Greatness, and you stated that current American policy is, as the, as the current administration calls our military uh, home, we are leaving behind many of our Afghan teammates, and as the Taliban advances in taking provinces, the threat to their lives and those of their families increases. Many veterans like myself are fighting to keep our Afghan brothers safe, and we take matters into our own hands to help, um, we're taking matters in our own hands to help them leave Afghanistan since our government's doing nothing. What does that mean, Chad? I mean, how, how can you and others who served alongside, as you put it, your Afghan brothers in arms, uh, what can be done now? What are you doing now to try to help get them out? Yeah, well, well here's the problem that occurred. You know, the administration announced the withdrawal. Uh, they, they hastily did pull, pull out, leaving Bagram Air Base. Uh, which is, you know, our strategic stronghold there in a place that we were able to work with the Afghan National Army, work with the Afghan National Police, and allow other nations from around the world to support and advise the Afghan National Army and, and police. There's no reason for us to leave there, uh, not, all, not to mention it's just a strategic mistake to leave that stronghold in the Middle East, which is surrounded by China, Russia, Iran, Iraq, and all these other places that we have, uh, we have to have a, a reach to. And uh, by, by doing that, we... Uh, we we leaving our Afghan allies who fought with us since we, you know, since we got there 20 years ago. I mean, these are, there's over 80,000 uh, Afghans that we worked with. 20,000 of them were embedded with our troops. We didn't have enough special immigrant visas for them when they, when they announced that they're doing this, and they didn't add any more. Uh, the House just passed a bipartisan bill to put uh, more visas, but this is a very small number, a couple of thousand, and that's Afghans as a whole. So they have. You know their wives, their families, and so we're just leaving thousands and thousands behind. In addition to that, with these special immigrant visas that these that we're being told that is available for the Afghans, the reality on the ground is that Afghans there in Afghanistan cannot go to the embassy to apply for these visas because the embassy has been closed since June 3rd due to COVID. So what we're hearing on the news and from the White House press sector is not the reality that's on the ground there. And uh, so. Uh, well, me and uh, other people who uh, have relationships there with Afghans we worked with, we're trying to get them out of Afghanistan and uh, neighboring countries where they could actually go visit an embassy or consulate to utilize this, this uh, SIV, special immigrant visa process, put them and their families. I mean, how, how quickly do you think we will be able to ramp up? I mean, if, if they're relying on the Biden administration and Congress, it feels like we're going to be here having this conversation in a year, Chad. And we all know the Afghan interpreters and others who were helping us for all this time, they don't have a year to wait. So, I mean, is, is there any urgency or is there any way you can create a greater sense of urgency at, at the top level so we can actually get the government to keep? I mean, this is a promise, right, made to the Afghans 
who fought alongside us. It's one the United States should keep. Yeah, no, I mean, the, the time frame is the Afghans, uh, Taliban has come in so quickly uh, when this uh, withdrawal. We have helicopters flying over here now. It so, happens. So you're saying, I mean, it's... it's in, uh, I can't even hear you. I'm sorry. That's all right. So you're, you're saying that you're going to have essentially... It's funny, you got helicopters flying in the background. It's kind of apropos what we're talking about here, people leaving. Um, okay. t- tell me this, tell me this, man. You, 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 is there any hope you think that the Afghan national government will be able to, pardon the expression, hold the line against the Taliban from this point on, at least, per, you know, or do you think that this is essentially a lost cause at this point? Yeah, Afghanistan, Afghanistan is going to fall to the Taliban. Uh, I hate to say that. I, I hope I'm wrong, uh, but I don't believe I'm going to be wrong. I mean, this is uh, you see the provinces falling, uh, and the ones that are that are falling the fastest are where the ANA, the Afghan National Army, aren't fighting back. They're handing over their weapons because they know they don't have the support and ability to fight back. And, uh, you know, that's largely important by uh, us not being there to support them and advise them. Uh, you know, a lot of people will hear this interview and say, well, they should fight for themselves. They need our, we can't, you can't just pull the rug out from a country that you've been there for 20 years. You have to do it smartly. Uh, you have to do it uh, with transition uh, powers. And you have to be, you have to, as a, as a world, a global uh, force for good, which is what the United Nations and other partners around the world should do. We have to be there to support people like uh, the government of Afghanistan that we stood up. And we're not doing that. And, uh, you know, this, these, when you talk about the Afghan allies, though, separate from the Afghanistan itself, the Afghan allies, you have to remember who these people are. These aren't just Afghans that were interpreters for us. These are our brothers that service members like me that were embedded with us, that fought with us shoulder to shoulder. I mean, I have a friend there right now who I wrote about in that article who was, you know, he was embedded with us for eight of my deployments in special operations as a JSOC operator. And this guy was vetted, polygraphed, and he saved my life on multiple occasions. He saved my friend's lives. He went out and rescued uh, uh, so many, so many uh, special operators. I mean, these guys are just heroes and uh who are for america and they're not even americans yeah uh, we, Chad, we, we, we can't leave them we can't leave them behind on the battlefield so is there anything that you know people watching this and just the american people more broadly can do to to try to actually get action here yeah i think the easiest the, the thing to do is to reach out to your congressman rattle the cage let your congressman know that america's better than this that we can't leave our allies behind and uh it's not just it, it is a moral thing i mean we did this in vietnam we did this in uh, the iraq we did it in uh when president obama pulled out of al-assad air base and and have turned it over to isis uh and now we're doing it again and the problem we have here is it's not just the moral and right thing to do which is important enough but the problem is we're to the point now to where who's going to trust us in future wars why would anyone any local national want to support us in future wars. And we need local nationals when we're going to fight wars abroad. And we will, especially if we keep handing back safe havens for terrorism like we're doing with Afghanistan. Chad, thank you for your service and for your perspective. And we're going to try to help get the word out because we want to get our allies off the battlefield too. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. The U.S. Senate just dropped a $3.5 trillion budget bill. I'll give you the details the progressive spending spree is all about when we come back. But I want to talk to you about my friends at Done For You Real Estate. Because if you've ever thought about investing in real estate, I want you to take me up on this recommendation. Visit doneforyoubuck.com and you can learn more about my friends at Done For You Real Estate. If you haven't checked them out, let me make this easy. These guys have found a way to make real estate, uh, real estate investing straightforward and their system flat out works. I know because I'm using it successfully. 
It allows everyday Americans like you and me to finally own investment real estate without all the risk and difficulty of doing it on your own. I can't tell you in strong enough terms during the 60-second commercial how important it is you check these guys out. So how about this? If you visit doneforyoubuck.com, at the top of the page is a podcast interview I did with Done For You Real Estate, where you can hear my personal experience with their company in my own words. I mean, I'll tell you about it in detail, from picking the city to the house, getting the broker, the loan, even getting a tenant in place so that free cash flow comes to me every month. Visit doneforyoubuck.com, listen to the podcast interview, and give my friends at Done For You Real Estate a chance to show you what they can do for you. The policies they want to put behind this budget resolution read like somebody walked across the rotunda to the house and handed the squad a pen and piece of paper. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell reacting to the $3.5 trillion budget plan that Senate Democrats dropped at 4 o'clock in the morning, jam-packed with progressive items. Let's break down what this is all about. What a mess. Trump called it the communist plan to destroy America, I think, in a statement today. We got the buck brief for you now. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Oh, yes. Let's dive into the latest here with the budget. We got Democrats' $3.5 trillion budget plan to go through. Let's start with, um, oh, the part of it that I find the most amazing. Permanent status for undocumented immigrants, i.e. amnesty for illegal aliens. Let's just dig into this one for a moment here. Amnesty for illegal aliens. How is that something that should be able to get through a budgetary measure using reconciliation? Hmm. Now, it probably, or it should, I will say, not pass. It should not pass the Senate parliamentarian, i.e. the person who calls balls and strikes about what goes into Senate bills is going to say, you guys are got to be kidding me, right? But you never really know. And the fact that the Democrats are even trying to do this is just so lawless and reckless and absurd. Uh, amnesty through a budgetary measure? 
The way they're trying to justify this, just to show you what Democrats are really all about, is by saying that it will increase the welfare rolls, which, I don't know, that sounds like the kind of thing that if a Republican said would get them into trouble. Uh, illegal aliens will increase the welfare rolls uh, if they become formal and documented, and therefore it's a budgetary measure, give them a legal status, i.e. green cards. And you all know that after green cards comes citizenship, right? Gotcha. $726 billion for tuition-free community college and preschool. Now, a community college is usually pretty close to free to begin with. It's the preschool part of this that's going to be really interesting. So now the government is going to be in the taking your kids for pre-kindergarten business. You know, got to make sure we have uh, no parents, uh, no parents staying home in a household. Got to get both parents into that workforce so that they can work for hourly wages while they're, of course, being paid less in, in, in essence because of the inflation that will be chipping away at their wages over time. But $726 billion, I mean, you know, that's looking at you know, close to a trillion dollars for pre, universal pre-K and community, uh, community college. So now your kids are going to be in state-run, state-paid-for schools, it seems, from the time that they are not even really able to speak all the way up through college, and it all should be paid for their education, as we all know, their indoctrination by the state and courtesy of your taxpayer dollars. Guaranteed paid family and medical leave. Um, this is another one that's going to sound good to people, but when you actually start to break it down, you say, hold on a second, what will this mean for some of the businesses that are going to have to pick up the tab on this? And the answer is tough. The answer is class warfare sells as far as Democrats are concerned. That's what's important here, that they are getting what they want out of it in terms of power and votes. And if it means that there are businesses that now struggle because how are they going to afford all of these things, right? Usually businesses like to give their employees perks that they can afford so they can keep them. And there's a whole market that operates. But this is going to be now guaranteed paid family and medical leave courtesy of the government and your business is going to be paying for it, which also means that you will be paying for it in essence by the higher prices necessary to charge for businesses in order to give some of these benefits. Clean energy manufacturing and transportation. I mean, look, this is there's a lot of green new energy, uh, green new deal, green energy stuff in here. And there's a goal of 80% clean power by 2030. I love when they do these by 2030. You know, yeah, I'm pretty sure Joe Biden's not going to be president then. And uh, hopefully Joe Biden won't be president in four years. We'll have somebody else or now three years and six months, whatever it is. So uh, the Green New Deal components of this seem to be among the more absurd parts of it, but Democrats want it. They're ideologically devoted to it. And so now we have to sit and look at what the reality is here, which is that Democrats can and will use the reconciliation measure to spend money on what they want to spend money on. Here's, here's uh, Senator Ted Cruz saying that this is all just meant to be a giant payoff, moving money around from taxpayers to favored constituencies of the Democrats to keep them in power for a long time. This bill would constitute a federal government takeover of elections. It would constitute a massive power grab by Democrats. It would disenfranchise millions of Americans. And it would do precisely the opposite of its nominal title for the people. It, would, it is instead for the politicians because it entrenches politicians and ensures that the people cannot vote them out of office. It would strike down virtually every reasonable 
voter integrity law in the country, including voter ID laws supported by the overwhelming majority of this country, including prohibitions on ballot harvesting, again widely supported by people in this country. It would mandate that felons be allowed to vote, and it would automatically register millions of illegal aliens to vote. Illegal alien voting, changing the voting procedures across the country. I mean, the things that the Democrats are trying to get into this budget. Remember, this is not, this is not normal legislation because they're using reconciliation, which means that they can go around the filibuster. So instead of just being honest with the American people and steamrolling the filibuster straight out, what they're doing here is essentially trying to pretend like the filibuster, or rather pretend like it doesn't matter what they put in the budget bill, and they can get around the filibuster in that way. Senator Chuck Schumer is out there telling everybody, oh, and by the way, you better raise the debt ceiling. We're going to get into this, this same back and forth game we've seen so many times over this, where you have Democrats saying, oh, the country's going to default and the government will shut down. And then we'll have the whole, you know, they'll have people uh, blocked from going to national parks or something for a couple of days. And the entire media will say, oh, the government is crumbling. It's all falling apart. Here's Chuck Schumer getting ready for that conversation. I cannot believe the Republicans will let the country default. And we, it has always been bipartisan to deal with the debt ceiling. When Trump was president, I believe the Democrats joined with him to raise it three times. Again, I cannot believe Republicans will let us default. It's going to be the same old demagoguery we've seen so many times before on this one. $30 trillion in debt. Why not, why not $40 trillion? Why not get to 50 What difference does it make at this point, right? That's far from Hillary. What difference does it make? Uh, that's what you start to ask yourself after a while. Democrats don't care. As long as they're in power and they're rich enough that the inflation that they create and the economic dysfunction and the socialism that they inflict upon the rest of us doesn't really affect them, they're good with it. As long as they're in power, it doesn't really matter. Critical race theory has found its way into nearly every facet of left-wing ideology. The latest that you see is environmentalism. Are you ready for climate racism? That's a thing, apparently. After the break, Kay Smythe, co-host of Carolyn K. Save the USA, stops by with us to discuss the left's latest moral panic. But right now, I want to talk about the crypto market. Everybody wants to invest in cryptocurrency these days, uh, whether it's Bitcoin, Ethereum, or any of dozens of tokens out there. But it could all be a bit confusing for beginners. That's why Colin Plume, the CEO of Noble Gold, dedicated, decided rather to create My Digital Money. It's an easy-to-use, self-trading crypto IRA platform with concierge-level customer service. It's one of the few U.S.-based cryptocurrency companies that will answer your phone calls and help you get started. Because your comfort and security is their absolute top priority, they offer an unparalleled military-grade security for your coins, trigger orders to help you secure opportunities for gains or limit losses without having to watch your account 24-7, a play money account so you can test the market without risking your money, and with the recent pullback of most of the major cryptocurrencies, this might be the best time to get into this exciting technology-based investment. You deserve a team of dedicated professionals when it comes to your money who will speak to you honestly and treat you like a human. Check them out at MyDigitalMoney.com. That's MyDigitalMoney.com. Kay Smythe joins us when we come back. So if you've been paying attention to the news last couple of years, maybe, you've seen the term climate racism popping up with increasing frequency. According to the left, climate racism describes the disparate impact of climate change between uh, Caucasians, white people, and people of color. But not everyone's buying it. Writing for The Spectator, Kay Smythe says, quote, climate racism is the latest ploy by the progressive mass media to inject critical race theory into our social consciousness as adults. 
When you think of minorities in America, you now have to imagine them choking on rotten air, living in landfills, being silently poisoned as all of the Caucasian people around them wander around feeling absolutely fine. Evidently, we breathe different air based on our skin color in America. Does that make air racist? Joining me now is the co-host of Carol and Kay Save the USA podcast, Kay Smythe. Kay, thanks for being with us. Thank you so much, Buck. It's great to be back. So climate racism, for anybody who's wondering what the heck is that, give us a sense of first what the definition should be. Oh, there shouldn't be a definition of climate racism because it isn't a thing. Um, I have a very biased opinion when it comes to climate change. I think both the left and the right are completely wrong and all of our attention is on the wrong thing when it comes to the climate. Um, But climate racism seems to be one of these new ideas that's designed to really target minorities and further ostracize, make them feel downtrodden. It's really the same kind of class impact that we see in the UK. So really it should be climate classism rather than climate racism. Um, but that's kind of more my take on it. And, you know, what do I know? I've just written several PhDs for other people on this stuff. So, so, so right now in the budget, for example, that the uh, Senate Democrats have just voted to, to move forward, there's a lot of green energy, green new deal stuff. And part of the, uh, part of the pitch of the proposal for this is that it is addressing what you call climate racism, or it's essentially a social justice need to, to tackle climate change. How does that actually play out? I mean, where are, when they're talking about the social justice inequalities of climate uh, what, in America, what do they mean? Again, I just think it's a huge waste of time for everyone. There, there is nothing that any of us can do to mitigate the long-term impacts of a shifting climate. Our planet has gone through cycles of climate change before. We've had a very cold planet. We've had a very warm planet. We have what we have right now. Anything that anyone thinks that they can do to mitigate the long-term climate shifts, I'm, it's just a complete waste of time. What we really need to be doing at this point is adapting to what the planet is going to naturally throw at us. Like we shouldn't be building on floodplains. We should be conscious of the fact that if we do have sea level rise, we should probably move people further away from the coasts. I think it's just, again, another excuse for the left or those in power to cycle back money into their friends' businesses who maybe, you know, create electric cars and, um, you know, run solar farms. These things have absolutely no impact on the long-term effects of climate change. I think it's just all a huge waste of our time and it's just a form of, I guess, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like almost like virtue signaling. Is this just something that I mean, let let me ask you this. Is this just something where people get to they get to decry climate racism and they and and that's like a new form. It's almost a a new fad of anti-racism in a sense. So now, I mean, if you are somebody who's really in favor of electric car subsidies in some way, you're, you're actually just a good person, not only for saving the environment, but in tackling climate racism. Doesn't actually happen in reality. Well, so I know that. Just- <laughs> I'm saying, why, why do people want to do this? Well, again, I think part of it's virtue signaling, absolutely. You know, I just moved from Los Angeles to uh, the East Coast. And one of the things that I found so hysterical was the number of people with uh, Teslas who would have them plugged into their homes to charge up. And I'm like, 
Where do you think the energy comes from to charge your Tesla? Where do you think the raw materials came from to make your Tesla? What we all should really be doing is just recycling en masse. If you really want to care about the planet, stop buying new things, stop making new things, use what you've got and live at one with the land. But again, I guess to a certain extent it's virtue signaling, but it has a real world impact. So it's not just a signal anymore. It's uh, it's a form of action that really technically perpetuates the climate crisis, um, but also doesn't really do anything to mitigate anything in terms of real world impact. Again. I don't know why we keep wasting our times having these conversations about things like climate racism, which don't exist. Again, it's climate classism, if anything. If you're working class, you're more likely to be impacted by climate change, you know, and climate change being the fact that food will run out, the fact that sea levels will rise, raw materials are going to become more expensive, things like that. So for me, as a climate scientist, I just sort of sit here in the middle looking from left to right going, you guys are arguing over something whilst I'm over here building my ranch, making sure that I can have enough food to sustain gotcha. myself through whatever the planet throws at us. So there is no such thing as climate racism. There, there we go. That's, that's the, uh, it feels like that is the takeaway. That is the thesis. Kay Smythe, check out her piece. And Kay, thanks for being with us. Thanks. Uh, not sure I saw this one coming. Batman sidekick Robin comes out as bisexual in the latest comic series. Um, just actually finding that out now. We'll dive into that next on Quick Hits. But first, if you're anything like me, you have to start your day with some caffeine. I gotta get going with some caffeine. That means kicking off my morning with Black Rifle Coffee. I mean, this is some of the best coffee. This is the best coffee I've ever tasted. And it's a veteran-owned company that serves coffee to people who love America. Black Rifle supports veteran law enforcement and first responder causes. And this summer, Black Rifle wants you to just enjoy your coffee wherever it takes you. Black Rifle is going to fuel your way and make sure they bring you the best coffee beans from all over the world. They roast them five days a week at their facilities in Tennessee and Utah. The team at Black Rifle is continually researching and experimenting with new roasting methods and coffee origins. Purchase at blackriflecoffee.com buck and use code buck at checkout for 20% off your purchase and your first coffee club order. Fuel your summer with America's coffee, Black Rifle Coffee. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. I normally find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting, but Skims has changed that. You know I love Skims underwear, so I finally tried their bras, and Skims has delivered again. Skims bras are worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give, but what I wasn't expecting was how comfortable they are too. I've tried so many bras in the past, and the main issue that I have is that they weren't supportive enough, to the point where they felt slouchy. I love my Skims wireless form bra because it's so comfortable and supportive. The older I get, the more I care about actually being comfortable in what I wear every day. And with my wireless form bra, I no longer have to sacrifice my comfort for the support I need. Shop Skims Bras at Skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A to 46H. 
Plus, get free shipping on all orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select Podcast in the survey and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. MSNBC's Joy Reid claims that Governor DeSantis is killing children and Stephen Colbert presses Brian Stelter on the Cuomo Brothers saga. Let's get into it in tonight's Quick Hits. Okay, first off, this one is... Wow. Um, I didn't know about this till I did the show today, honestly. I, I, they had to send me this one. And uh, it turns out that Batman's sidekick, you know, Robin, Batman and Robin, I mean, probably the most iconic crime-fighting duo of all time, even more so than, say, Tango and Cash or Turner and Hooch, for those 90s movie fans out there. Batman and Robin are a big deal. And it turns out that uh, Robin is... Uh, coming out as bisexual in an upcoming comic in the latest installment of Batman Urban Legends, the DC comic book character Tim Drake, AKA the caped crusader sidekick Robin, accepts an invitation to go on a date with a man named Bernard Dowd, thereby confirming Robin's LGBTQ status. So Robin is not neither straight nor gay. Robin is apparently bisexual. Um, this happens now, this, this sort of uh, social justice warrior stuff happens in a lot of comics, and you're supposed to accept it, and if you have any... Oh, there's more. By the way, comics have been increasingly representative of the LGBTQ community as of late. In March, Marvel unveiled their first gay Captain America. I didn't, I didn't even know about gay Captain America. I learned something new here. A queer... Wow. A queer youth advocate named Aaron Fisher to be included in the upcoming United States of Captain America comic book mini series. Um, learning something new here every day. Learning something new. Quite remarkable. All right, Stephen Colbert uh, pressed, I mean, that's, what else am I, I going to say? I mean, they, this is what comic books do now. It's all social justice warriors. It used to just be comic books were about, you know, fantasy, and we all just read them to read about superheroes. And now it's you know, left, left-wing agenda, rammed down your throat, every opportunity. That's what they try to do. Stephen Colbert with Brian Stelter. Look, Brian Stelter, I have a different take on Brian, Mr. Stelter, and I've met him once or twice, uh, than a lot of the other conservative folks out there. And that is, um, I, I think that you should see Brian Stelter and say, see, anybody, literally anybody on planet Earth could have a TV show. I mean, you, there's no actual standards for having a TV show. Um, so anybody could have one. So I feel like that should be encouraging, right? It's like, hey, you want a TV? I mean, Brian Stelter could have a TV show. I mean... Who can't, right? But then there's also the issue of CNN's ethics. Does CNN have ethics as a journalistic enterprise? Not really, right? We, we all know that. Well, Stephen Colbert pushed back a little bit, which is funny because Stephen Colbert is supposed to be a comedian. He's not a very funny one, at least not anymore. I actually think he kind of was funny back in the Daily Show days. But here he is pushing uh, Brian Stelter, whose job is basically to criticize other media outlets on behalf of CNN as the media reporter, and here is CNN's, uh, or rather, here is Colbert pushing Stelter on CNN's Cuomo controversy. Play. What are the boundaries? What are the boundaries? The boundary that, that CNN management presented to him in May when, when they admitted he screwed up. They said, yeah. you know, what you did was inappropriate. You were on the phone with your brother's aides advising them on what to do, and that was inappropriate. But they said, 
Of course you're going to talk to your brother. You know, there's nothing more important. But he than didn't talk about brother. his brother once the trouble started. He That's said, I'm right. not going to talk about my brother. And that was also a management ruling. And so the but way why didn't I they rule that this. way when his brother was on the show pretty much every night uh, during the yeah, COVID crisis? I think it's really that complicated. That seems like an odd uh, conflict of rules. It is an odd conflict, but I don't think uh, if we open up the journalism ethics book, there's no page for this. It's the, the craziest set of circumstances you can imagine. No, actually, it's pretty straightforward. <laughs> it's funny, though, isn't it? Uh, if you open up the book, and it, no, it's actually pretty straightforward. You just, you can't have somebody pretending to be a news person, a journalist, having their brother on who is a governor, okay? It's not like he had his brother on to talk about great recipes for, you know, feta and watermelon salads over the summer or something, right? I mean, this was the governor of New York during a pandemic, and they were doing the Look at how amazing my brother is variety show on what is ostensibly a news program. Although anybody who watches CNN and thinks that it's news and not propaganda um, is just highly unsophisticated in their thinking. But there's a lot of those folks out there. And then there are people who watch MSNBC, which I think we at least can we can say that MSNBC knows that it's left wing. And so there's some degree of honesty in that versus CNN, which lives in this fantasy land of it's just objective and just providing the news. But MSNBC also says really crazy stuff sometimes, and it's just, it's apparently not a problem. I mean, here's Joy Reid speaking about the governor of Florida saying, or asking a question and basically saying, I mean, so he just wants to kill kids. He wants kids to die. That's what she's saying. Governor DeSantis in Florida's COVID catastrophe as the Delta variant rages in his state. Get this, he refuses to budge on protecting kids, children or even allowing private business owners to protect themselves and their customers. He's just rooting for COVID. Governor Death Santis, as he's become known by his detractors. What is the strategy behind killing children in your own state and letting, them, letting children die of COVID? I can't figure it out. I mean, it's, a, it's amazing, isn't it? That's a news channel. That's a news show. That's a primetime news show. They pay Ms. Reed a lot of money. Um, apparently, it doesn't matter that she used to say really nasty things about uh, gay people on her blog because she pretended that they hacked into it 10 years ago. And it, it, it's, it this is no rules. It's MSNBC. The place is a joke. Anyway, that's it for tonight's Hold the Line. But before we go, I want to tell you about the First TV's newsletter. Each morning, the First gathers the day's news, the best videos and must-see moments that everybody's talking about, everything you need to start your day, and they'll send it straight to your inbox. So if you're not signed up for the First uh, email, you're really missing out. So go to thefirsttv.com to sign up today and have a great night. No spin news with Bill O'Reilly's up next. Fields high. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion.